And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined, as always, by athletic senior writer Chris Vanini. Chris, hello. Welcome to the show. Good to be here, Nicole. Last week before playoff rankings, the season is moving fast. It is last week of peace before I anger myself off these playoff rankings. Every year, I've been I've been trying to mentally prepare for this because every year I tell myself none of the midseason rankings matter. It's not a complete resume. It's a bunch of important games at the end of the season, and every single year I get very mad on Tuesdays. So I'm trying to mentally prepare from that. I'm also still recovering from. Last week, you were there in person as I was attempting to eat cottage cheese. I almost, it almost came back up. That was, that was a challenge, but I will be back on the Friday preview show on this feed, the Andy Staples show and friends feed with Andy and Ari picking games and not eating cottage cheese, cottage cheese this week. Thank God. But before we get to those shenanigans later in the week, I am excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if you get thirsty while doing so, well, just feel free to grab a cold one. This week's show starts out as it always does with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves one minute-ish to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. I will go first. Number one, Kirby Smart wants Georgia-Florida to be a home-and-home series. Now, this is something he has said now for a while. He has said that it is a big big recruiting opportunity and he wants it to be played on campuses so that when Georgia hosts it he can have recruits there it's something he said this summer during SEC media days when Auburn plays Alabama guess where the recruits are when LSU and Alabama play that's where the biggest recruits want to go it's an opportunity for us to bring these kids who fly in from all over the country what game do they come to see Georgia play they'd like to see Georgia play Florida but they can't do that it's very important. Recruiting is very important. I just can't get a Florida coach to agree with me. Also, I mean, there's a lot of tradition and history around this game being played where it is in Jacksonville. So I also understand that. I would, I, I, I mean, I am a pro home and home series person. So I tend to agree. But that is one of the storylines because Kirby has been commenting about that this week. Um, you know, both of these schools have put out a joint statement because, you know, the future of this series is a little bit in doubt with the way that the SEC is going to eventually need to change its schedule once it adds Oklahoma and Texas. So it's a topic of conversation. Yeah, look, the, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, that's a name that matters in, in college football. Have you, I, I've never been to that game. Have you? Have you been to that game? I have not. No, I have not. It is on the bucket list. I, so I, I haven't been there, but where I have been several times is Texas, Oklahoma, which is the most comparable 
to these situations. You've got a midway point between the two schools. They play. It's been a tradition for for decades and decades. I, I, I get what Kirby's saying. You know, like, we know recruiting is, like, the most important thing to him. He said this last year when he beat uh, Florida a year ago. But just recruiting is everything. That's sort of what got Dan Mullen fired at Florida. We know he always wants the biggest games in order to be able to bring recruits there. We've heard it from Arkansas coaches who long complained that they couldn't bring recruits to Little Rock sometimes. So I get what he's saying. I think there's always a solution where, like, maybe you do home and home and neutral site, and you try to rotate that, that always feels like it would be a compromise. Maybe everybody likes it. Maybe nobody likes it. I don't know. I know these things matter, though, uh, to, to the people involved. So number two, Iowa. Yes, the Iowa Hawkeyes, who we, for some reason, seem to talk about every week on this podcast. They may, uh, may or may not make a quarterback change. Kirk Ferentz uh, did not provide an update this week on who's going to start. He said, we haven't made a decision yet, and we're not sure when we will. That doesn't really mean anything. He may, he may not. Last week against Ohio State did not uh, provide confidence. Spencer Petrus was 6 for 14, two interceptions before he got pulled. Alex Padilla came in and immediately fumbled the ball away and threw an interception and finished 5 for 10. Nicole, uh, which Iowa quarterback is going to completely turn things around here? Yeah, well, I don't think it's necessarily that. I, I do think <laughs> Alex Padilla, like the idea of him playing – is more because the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on campus. Everyone always thinks that there must be something better. I think it was pretty apparent against Ohio State that this is not a quarterback problem as much as it is an offense problem. And yes. Kirk Ferentz, of course, is not changing his offensive coordinator, his son. So we'll see. I do think by playing Alex Padilla, you at least get rid of questions of well maybe they'll just make a quarterback change maybe maybe that's it right like that's got to be it and you know you also had Kirk Ferentz earlier in the season saying pushing back on fans that wanted to see that quarterback change and said you know I know more than you guys I see this in practice etc cetera, etc cetera. so just a very tense situation in general in Iowa City number three the Big Ten is keeping divisions for the 2023 season. Our Scott Dockerman reported that. He's covered it. You can listen to him talk about that with Andy and Ari earlier this week. The schedule is going to be put out at noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. Um, so we will know exactly when everyone is playing. Everyone generally knows if you're staying in divisions, everyone kind of knows where it is. It's one more opportunity for programs like Illinois to get to Indianapolis to get to the Big Ten title game. I mean, it's a big opportunity for all the West schools and another year of a very uphill battle for the Maryland's, Rutgers, and Indiana's of the world. Yes. Also, point out that uh, Travis Miller, a former Purdue blogger, noted that there is a possibility for the Big Ten West this year where 4-8 and eight Northwestern wins the Big Ten West and goes to the Big Ten championship game. It would need to finish 4-2, and two, Nebraska 2-4, two and four. Everybody else three and three. The Sickos committee put out the schedule, how to make it happen. It's doable. It's very doable. The ACC. I don't know Coastal if I would say very. I don't know if I would say it's very doable. I think other than Northwestern needing to win three games, I think the rest of it is more is is very. I think possible. Illinois is is clearly in the driver's seat, so I yes, think that's, that's part true. of it. But yes, Northwestern <laughs> looking for three wins that that would be a challenge. Yeah, so like ultimately not a surprise. If you're adding USC and UCLA, 
uh, for 2024, you might as well just keep what you're doing now until uh, until those teams come. And then we don't yet know if they'll keep divisions, get rid of divisions, change things up. The SEC is similarly going through a similar thing. Number four, we love a good coach beef uh, in, in college football. And, and we got a little bit one between Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin. Uh, we, we talked about it last week, I believe, when uh, James Franklin complained about the Michigan Tunnel. And there was a little confrontation between the Penn State and Michigan players in the Michigan Tunnel uh, at halftime. So, But Jim Harbaugh comes out this week and says... All, quote, all they've got to do is walk into their locker room. You saw pretty clearly that they completely stopped and weren't letting us get up the tunnel. It seemed like such a sophomore ploy to keep to try to keep us out of our locker room. It looked like James Franklin was the ringleader of the whole thing. Pretty spicy. What did you think, Nicole? I think anytime you have coaches discussing something more than a week after it happens, um, it's Still very personal to both sides. I personally love coaches who say, I'm not going to go there and then go there. So that's exactly go there, Jim coaches. Harbaugh. Yes. He Jim Harbaugh's done this before. Yes. Jim Harbaugh's done this before with coaches. Jimbo obviously famously called out Nick Saban. Coaches, please do this more. It's very fun. Well, it, it reminded me of last year's coach spat, which was Kirk Ferentz and James Franklin, just to oh, yeah. go full full circle here. That was after the accusing of faking injuries, and James Franklin had like prepared notes and like a five-minute soliloquy about how they were actually injured in Iowa City. Anyway, so that one was like a week-long cycle that created two fan bases that really hate each other, so an instant rivalry on the spot between Iowa and Penn State. I don't think Penn State fans care for Michigan fans anyway, but yeah, add a little fuel to the fire. I, I like when coaches tell us what they're actually thinking. Absolutely. Uh, in Keep number in, in number five, uh, wrapping up the Power Five, Steve Sarkeesian, more coaching drama. There was a lot that was happening this week, a lot of clarifications and, and comments, and this is Sark apologizing for not staying out on the field in Stillwater uh, for the eyes of Texas, which is a very Texas-specific mess up here. He started his Monday news conference by apologizing. He said, I owe an apology to Longhorn Nation. I made a mistake at the end of the game and not seeing the eyes of Texas when the game was done. That was not anything intentional. That was not anything that had to do with our players. I think our players followed me up the ramp to the locker room, obviously upset by the way the game ended. It was not premeditated by any means, just a mistake on my part, nothing to do with the players that won't happen again. This is a very controversial topic around this program, and it was something that Sark was asked at, literally at his introductory press conference if he was going to make the players do that, and he said he would. This is like half the reason he has the job, because of the drama around Tom Herman and Texas players not doing it, and there was that picture of Sam Ellinger, and, and, and you know, there's obviously a, uh, a kind of a racial history to that. Nicole, you and, and David Ubbin and some other people wrote about that. Minstrel shows, yeah, is where the, yeah. the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. But yes, I don't know. Look, this is ultimately not important at all. You would think the first thing you want to talk about, you know, the week after losing to Oklahoma State is how to not lose to Oklahoma State and win your next game. But this is Texas. <laughs> this is where they do these types of things. And when I saw that picture, uh, I forgot, who, I think it was Anwar Richardson posted the photo 
and you've got the the uh, Texas mascot doing holding up the horns and just a handful of players, you knew instantly. You're like, all right, this is going to be a thing. This is definitely going to be a thing because it was a thing a few years ago, and it was important for Sark getting the job. So yet another, uh, I guess, unforced error, if it matters, uh, at Texas. All right, let's move on to happier topics. We'll go to our happy hour segment where we celebrate something and many things that we like in the sport this week. Want to start by talking about the Ducks because for whatever reason, maybe because it was the middle of the day, maybe because Oregon just kind of really thoroughly beat down on UCLA, kind of feels like that monster win and really good performance by Oregon in Dan Lanning's first year is going a little bit under the radar, a little bit not one of the main topics of conversation. So, Chris, I wanted to revisit the story that you wrote about Dan Lanning before the season started about who he is, which I think probably shed some light into how this came about in year one. And then also the way that they won, it was obviously very reminiscent of the Chip Kelly era at Oregon, the aggressiveness, the way that the offense moves and was very methodical down the field throughout the game. You know, obviously there were pieces left here when your coach leaves for quote their dream job, you know, you're, you're pretty well stocked. You got a good offensive line. You got pieces around you, but I think the way that they won was really impressive and doing all of this, the way that they've rebounded from that season opening loss to Georgia has been pretty remarkable. I mean, I don't think that many people thought we'd be here talking about what a statement win Oregon had at the end of October. Yeah, so like a lot of people, you know, remember Dan Lanning or may have been first introduced to him as Georgia's defense coordinator, winning the national championship last year. Um, and, and one of the best recruiters in the country. He's still only 36 years old, but he's, he's been coaching for a while. But uh, back in 20... Early 2010 or late 2010, early 2011, he was a high school assistant coach and an elementary school gym teacher who got in his car and drove from uh, outside of Kansas City all the way to Pitt to try to get a job on Todd Graham's Pitt staff because that was the only staff that responded to his many letters that he sent out to try to become a coach. He becomes a coach, gets hired by Todd Graham, becomes a very good recruiter, even as a GA, kind of works his way up the ranks, follows him to Arizona State. Uh, spends a year at Alabama's GA, goes to Memphis, then to Georgia, then to Oregon. So this has been a a a, a, a coach who was a Division two player, and it was a kind of a, a unusual kind of great story of of a guy who rose in his career. And I was at that Georgia Oregon game that was a complete blowout by halftime, and, and it was done. And you know Kirby Smart said after the game, you know Dan's not going to say it, but we just have better players. And that was the whole, that was half the reason you hired Dan Lanning because he's going to get a lot of talent to Oregon. But what did that mean for this year? I asked Dan Lanning about that after the game and he says, I'm staying with my guys. You know, we have to, we have to work with what we have here. And he didn't pull Bo Nix from that game. Something I think a lot of people ignored the whole game in the second half. He kept Bo Nix in the game. They drive down late to try to score a touchdown. I think they uh, fail on a fourth down at the goal line. He stuck with Bo Nix and Bo Nix since that game, 25 touchdowns, one interception, 75% completion percentage. I know we make the Bo Nix Dark Horse Heisman meme, but like, it's kind of time to talk about it. O- Oregon has completely turned this thing around. Well, the meme is actually entirely true, which shout out to Max Olson because he got this into takeaways from the weekend. 
But isn't the rest of it just that, like, he's going to have a big year. He's having fun. He could be a dark horse Heisman candidate. All of those things mm-hmm. are true in this new offense, which is also part of it. So um, pretty hilarious. Uh, love when life imitates art, and especially when it is a meme. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, Let's talk about another thing we're excited about. Just a quick shout out to the teams that are already bowl eligible or about to be bowl eligible, where it's not always easy to do that in October. It's a really cool video of Maryland celebrating their bowl eligibility in the locker room and Mike Loxley basically reminding them that you can't take that for granted at a place like Maryland, that you can do this by mid-October, that it's remarkable that they should celebrate it. And they should. And they should. And another program that I want to talk about, because we're going to talk about the flip side of the team that they just beat, but Duke is at five wins. Mike Elko's first season, he's been really, really good. I did not think that they would be this solid in year one based on where the roster was, but this is a first-time head coach, did a really good job with hiring different pieces. Defensive guy hires Kevin Johns as his offensive coordinator from Memphis. Just been a really solid team. I mean, we're going to talk about Miami in a second when we get to On the Rocks, but this is a team that, yes, Miami turned the ball over eight times, but you know Duke was on the other side of that game, and they just pulled away from Miami. That's That's – that's not what Duke is supposed to do. Duke is not supposed to win games the way that they did uh, and have won this year. I mean, they're just very solid offensively, defensively, just a really good hire. And we have not been saying that a lot about some of these other first-year coaches who've really been struggling. And the Mike Elko era is off to a really good start. I had their state of the program, again, based on where the talent was on the roster and where they were plugging and playing. I think this is ahead of schedule for sure. But just a shout-out to teams like Maryland and Duke. I mean, these are not easy jobs. And when you get bowl eligible or on the precipice of it and it's still October, you deserve a shout-out. It is going to be a surprise if Duke does not make a bowl game, and that is not something I expected to say in year one. This is their remaining schedule. 
Boston College on the road next week. They're off this week. Virginia Tech, who is very much struggling, traveled to Pitt, who has also had an up-and-down year, and finished with Wake Forest. There is a potential for as many as three wins in there. All you got to get is one, and you go to a bowl game, which would be a remarkable accomplishment for Duke and Mike Elkhorn that first year. And going back to Maryland, you know, it's kind of been a thing the last handful of years under Mike Loxley where September Maryland starts out very well. Then they get into the Big Ten schedule and things fall apart. But they came back to win against Indiana without Talia Tagovailoa, who got hurt. They had to come back with the backup quarterback and win that game. Then they did the same thing against Northwestern without him last week to get to bowl eligibility. So absolute credit to that coaching staff and those players uh, to get to six wins without Talia at this point. Yeah, and, and you know, the great news there is that they're expecting him back. Mike Loxley said this week that he's hopeful that they'll have him back next week. Um, so well-timed well by to get healthy um, and to still beat Northwestern with the backup quarterback. Okay, here is a controversial happy hour selection. Um, I think that anyone who knows me knows how I feel about games like this, but I do think that a lot of the college football fandom fans are, are maybe openly mocking this game or at least going to avoid watching it. I am genuinely excited for Iowa Northwestern. I encouraged our colleague over at the Associated Press, Ralph Russo, to pick this game. He's always looking for unranked games to pick. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating when you have teams that have really struggled to move the ball or in this case, specifically an Iowa offense that has really struggled against Northwestern defense that has really struggled. You know, it's kind of like rock in a hard place, but the opposite of that and like who is going to be victorious. I think it's going to be fascinating. This is the sickos game of the year. And I just am so excited to get there on Saturday. I, this will be, it won't be screen number one. I, I usually have like three or four games on at one time, but it, it might be number two. It might be, it might get that type of, that type of screen treatment. Look, I mean, for, first off, the over under for this game opened at 31 and a half. One of, I believe the lowest over unders in the history of this sport that, but that has since skyrocketed to 37 and a half. So people were apparently very much betting the over on 31 and a half. And you might remember earlier this year, Iowa Rutgers had the previous low of 34 and a half. They hit the over on that one only because Iowa had two defensive touchdowns and a 51 yard field goal with six minutes left. We are it talking. Was perfect. It was perfect. We, talk, we, we, this is, we talk, this is almost like masochistic with how much we talk Iowa offense no, 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 and but, Iowa football but, on this podcast. Yes, but, and we do the same thing on the Friday pick spot. It happens every single week because we always evaluate the the total. And Ari and I are always like, how many defensive scores do we think there will be? You, you have, know, like, you have to take it into account. You have to fit, You have to at least think seven points, you know, and so. It happened against Ohio State. Yes. So again, it needs to be baked into the calculations. Maybe that's why the total went up. Maybe they're just assuming that there's going to be a pick six in there. But I'm just proud of us for including this in the happy hour section and not on the rocks because we're not making it one of the rocky relationships. Iowa fans are very, very well aware of the state of their offense right now. Um, and so we are making this, this is an opportunity for a win for both of these teams and both of these fan bases. So I, for one, am very excited to watch it. 
I think that Iowa is must-see TV. That is why I'm a sicko. So that's this is a, I mean, this is a rivalry game. By the way, Iowa is 10-13 and 13 against Northwestern since 1995. How about that? Did you see the – I think they're like a 10-point favorite in this game too. Did you see uh, the amount of points on the line? I don't have the line? line on me. I didn't write the line it down. It is shocking. Sense, well, but again, I – Still shocking. It's still a lot of points that you're asking Iowa to score. We'll, we'll yeah. have to see. I can't wait. Like I, I'm so excited for this game because I can't. I can't tell where it's going to go. I can't tell what's going to happen. I agree. Okay, one game where I do know what's going to happen: the Daily State News game. Happy Daily State News Week! Now we're heading into Michigan, Michigan State on Saturday. The more important game is being played on Friday. It's going to be played in Ann Arbor this year because it's always played in the town the night before the Michigan-Michigan State game. Chris, this is a very important game to both of us. The Michigan Daily and the State News at Michigan State have a rivalry. I will let you explain it first because you often get mad at me when I explain (laughs) the history of the rivalry, even though it's very lopsided. Look, the, it, it, this is the real sickos game of the week, if we're being honest. Uh, a bunch of poorly athletic student journalists uh, playing a game of touch football. Um, yeah, it's. It, 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 I don't exactly know how far back this game goes. It goes at least back to the 90s when, when players legitimately got injured and sent to the hospital. Our friend Colton Pouncey wrote a terrific uh, history of this game last year. Just, I'm sure you do a quick Google search for the State News Michigan Daily game. It'll pop up. My yeah. First, I'll st- I'll start by uh, giving you an olive branch here. How many straight games has the Michigan Daily won in this? I believe fifteen. Yeah, it was fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, I, I, I fifteen forgot or sixteen. Something yeah, and, like and and listen, last year was a shutout. So it was. It was. I think it we was know bad. how this it, it, year is gonna go. This is this is an outcome. It's an all time low. Yeah. Nicole and I played each other in this game. By the way, for the people who don't, we played it, each other in the two thousand eight two thousand nine. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 08, 09, and 2010. It would have been yeah. seven, seven. Oh, I didn't 07. play in 07. Oh, wow. Okay, so I was played paper. as a true I was freshman. A, yeah, I wasn't on the paper as a true freshman because our newspaper had standards, and so you had to kind of make the newspaper. That's how it goes. Ultimately, my that's biggest what issue. That's they say. That's, see, you would have entered the transfer portal by not playing right away. See, you just yeah. weren't ready. My biggest issue, for those ready. unaware, is that the Michigan Daily has a staff of multiple hundreds of people uh, who are available. That is not true. That is literally that is... what it says on the Michigan Daily website. While the state no. news only has a roster of maybe like 40 to 60 people to choose from. So it's difficult. We've got a numbers disadvantage. The Michigan Daily is oversigning uh, and running players off into the portal when they want to. But uh, that's, that, that's, that's the last I'll say on that. Go state news. End the streak. Uh, do it for do it for me, please. Okay, it's not gonna happen. This is not gonna be the year. This is Bo Nick's year. This is also the Daily's year once again. Fifteen or sixteen or seventeen in a row. Feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. I covered the Michigan Michigan State game last year, the day after, and got a lot of compliments for Colton's piece, but also for the Daily continuing its domination. Um, really, you know, the the ringer accusations remain unsettling that you're just upset that we are more athletic and have better hand-eye coordination. When I played all four years, we were just the better team. We practiced, we prepared, we were ready for that game. So hashtag beat state news. That is the big game of the week. Very excited for it. Chris and I will have a healthy wager on it. Time to 
talk rocky relationships. We'll go to our on the rock segment. Time to talk it out. There's always friction somewhere in the sport, and we're here to help work through it. Let's start with the relationship between the fan base and Texas A&M football. Now, I know Andy has talked a lot about the guaranteed contract that Jimbo Fisher has, just sort of the state of the Aggie program. Um, But Chris, when you think about what's going wrong in College Station, what do you point to? Well, you you point to the offense. And look, Texas A&M just lost to South Carolina. They were down, what, 17 to nothing within about six minutes of that game, tried to come back, ended up losing. Sunday, this past Sunday, marked exactly one year since Texas A&M scored more than 24 points against an FBS team. 365 days it, since since a 20 since more than 24 points against the FBS team. They also have not had a 300-yard passer in their last 24 games going back to 2020 against Florida. So we can, we talked about every week. We know Jimbo's got that big contract. The offense is not great. The quarterback situation is an issue. Haynes King got hurt against South Carolina. It starts right there. It's a huge problem. Everyone's made this important point, but, you know, Jimbo Fisher brings along himself as the offensive coordinator, does not want to give up play calling duties, and also wants to run the offense a certain way that he does. And it's much more of an offense that really worked in the early 2010s when his Florida State teams were really successful when they won a national championship. It's is it too complicated is it too not really just finding guys in space which is basically what college football and the NFL are turning into now I I don't know I mean you you need a fresh set of eyes you need fresh input into what they're doing offensively as well and I know they've had injuries I know they've been dealing with a lot of things but it just feels very stale in general as the system that is being run and again you have a fully guaranteed contract you do not have the ability to make a change. I've gotten some actually serious people asking if it's possible to raise $84 million or whatever it would take to get rid of Jimbo Fisher. It's not happening. And there are going to be other deals that come up that are going to be in these situations where things are uncomfortable and there is a massive amount of guaranteed money. And that's where Texas A&M is because that's the deal that they gave Jimbo Fisher. Um, They also have multiple players suspended indefinitely as a result of a locker room incident. At South Carolina, all three were part of the number one recruiting class. So there are just a number of things happening in College Station. And they're not great. Another place where things are not great is Miami. This is another big name first-year head coach in Mario Cristobal. We were just talking about Oregon and the success that they're having this year with Dan Lanning. Mario Cristobal goes to Miami. I don't know if anyone thought that it would be a national title contender type roster right out of the gate, but I don't think people thought this would be a team that loses to Middle Tennessee State, loses badly to Duke, turns the ball over eight times. That's a record. It's just bad. And you entered the year with TVD at quarterback, Someone that you thought was going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, not just in the ACC. And this has just been a very difficult team, even when he's been healthy and he's obviously dealing with injuries now. But, you know, they just really struggled offensively throughout the year. 
it's just, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to make of some of these first year struggles. We've had similar conversations about Oklahoma with Brent Venables and some of the stuff where it's like, I don't really know what you do because I don't think anyone should be like on the hot seat in year one, but you do need to diagnose the problems correctly and be honest about them so that you can make these changes. And also, I mean, this was another massive contract. This is Miami putting a lot of money behind this football program, saying they're really going to spend the money that they need to to be big time in college football now. So you're you're in one of these situations, not exactly the Jimbo Fisher deal, but like you probably overpaid for someone who, you know, has was up and down at Oregon, had a couple signature wins, but also had game management issues. Um, lost to some teams that they shouldn't have. We can talk about Justin Herbert. Was he underutilized or, or really like didn't play as well under Mario Cristobal than he is in the NFL? I don't know. So like you have some of these question marks, but Miami really committed to him. Things are not going well at this point. I think, you know, the rest of the season is kind of a wash, but Chris, wh- where do you, when, when you're looking at like accurately diagnosing what's going wrong to, so you can identify what to fix, where does your mind go in Miami? Well, you have to start at quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke has regressed. He averaged nine yards in attempt last year. That's down to 7.3 this year. It Clearly, him and Josh Gaddis have not uh, just melded very well together. He's been kind of banged up. He's been kind of benched. Jake Garcia's come in a bit too. Tyler Van Dyke came into this game as a potential NFL quarterback is what we were talking about. And it is just not working with Josh Gaddis, who won the Broyles Award last year. It's the top assistant coach in the country. And I know there were some recent comments from Mario Cristobal, who's trying to walk back expectations and say, you know, like kind of that the media was the one overhyping them, that this is this is more of a rebuild. And so I went through, before we started this podcast, I went back through his entire uh, introductory press conference when he got the job at Miami. And the word uh, championship only showed up two times. He was not saying we're going to win national championships, we're going to do these things. He tried to just play by the basics. It wasn't quite Billy Napier at Florida, who has emphasized time and time again that this is going to be a rebuild. Uh, Crystal Ball didn't do that. But everybody else around Miami was ready to talk championships because that's what Miami does. That's what Miami is always known for doing, being kind of bombastic in how they promote their program. If you are spending $8 million a year to pay Mario Cristobal, $9 million to buy him out of his Oregon contract, and $8 million to fire Manny Diaz, plus all the money that's going into NIL, you have to compete for championships. That's what the money's for, as they like to say. It, you can't lose to Duke, man. You can't have eight turnovers and lose to Duke. I don't care if it's a rebuild. Duke's a rebuild. We just talked about them. They were, I think, 2-10 and 10 last year. <laughs> They're now 5-3, and three, and they just whipped you. Middle Tennessee whipped Miami earlier this year. So you can, you, can say my, you can say Miami's not ready to compete for championships, but you better be ready to compete with Duke. I completely agree. There are just certain things even a down Miami team should not be doing, and you know, it's, it's sort of like when you look back on past coaches, and again, I, I went to Michigan during the Richrod era. So the idea of the frustrations because of App State or, or getting blown out by Oregon and what that means. So then you hire Richrod and the spread offense and all these different things. And there's, you know, you're, you're like, oh, man, like we, we need to be more than a nine win team. And then you go through three and nine. So I get that 
some of this stuff, you know, you, you want certain things or you look back too fondly with rose colored glasses on different things. But what were the lows of my, Manny Diaz? Losing to FIU at home. Okay. So there, have there we, were some pretty bad lows. So how, what, what does, what needs to happen this year or did we already hit the, the, the lows too low? for Miami is there anything to salvage the season probably not at this point right if you get you get beat badly by Duke and you get beat badly by Middle Tennessee State I think you're that's your season right I mean you got to get to a bowl game Manny Diaz made a bowl game in all three seasons so that, that that's what your floor is supposed to be you know they went seven and five last year and and, and now that they're sitting at now enough. they're sitting at three and four right well, so we'll see. I mean, that one's just that's definition of a, a, there, a rocky relationship. There, there is opportunity on the schedule. They've still got Virginia, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Pitt. You're going to lose to Clemson. Florida State, maybe a, a toss up. I could see three wins in there. You get to six and six. That's got to be the minimum. At that's got to be that's got to be the floor. Absolutely. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, last topic here in On The Rocks. Um, this isn't super contentious. It's not a huge, huge issue, but I do want to hit on it. We talked about it a little bit last week about college football playoff expansion. They're trying to get the details done so that they can start this in time for the 2024 season. So two years away instead of 26, there's details are still working out. I know Chris, you've been diving into the, the TV windows and the calendar and what it means to go up against the NFL if they need to do that for the first round games. So the outstanding issues here that they need to work through over the course of probably a couple of different zooms and meetings over the next couple of weeks, because I don't think there's a hard deadline. I've not been told there's like a real hard deadline here, but I don't know if you can ask different host cities to really be holding like hotel blocks um, and these, you know, large amounts of room and all the different things that you need to, to host a major college football game and do walkthroughs and all these different things for that much longer. I mean, we are getting close. Like they, they could need to, to free up those rooms. So I do think this, there is a time crunch here in a matter of weeks, not months. And I think that people are pretty confident that they can get there. You got to deal with bowl contracts because, you know, you're trying to break existing contracts for 24 and 25. And then again, that the calendar and the TV windows, there's also some questions about like the logistics of an on-campus game they've brought in uh they've gotten a lot of feedback from people on different campuses but that'll be a little bit different if you know let's say you're in finals or you've already closed your campus for winter break you know how do you get all the machinations involved necessary to to host a game so that's not going to be a deal breaker the bowl contracts probably shouldn't be i mean these are bulls that are going to want to be part of this thing long term moving forward so you've got to think that they'll come around and and you know work work with the CFP on this. The question is also really the calendar. And I think people are, you know, hopefully going to be willing to go head to head against the NFL because I think you have to, you, you can't not be playing the Saturday two weeks after conference championship games, 
you know, I, I could see them doing maybe do one game Friday, three games Saturday, or two and two or something like that to get those on-campus games in. But Chris, I mean, they, they've said this all along that the calendar, the calendar, the calendar is the most pressing issue. You've dug into all the research and the history about these TV windows and why it works that way. Do you think college football should go head-to-head with the NFL in those windows? I think it has to. At this point, there's no escaping it. The, the, the battle lines between the NFL and college football are crossing over like never before simply because there are not more games. The NFL added a Week 18. The NFL added uh, an expanded playoff. The NFL is adding a Black Friday game. College football is adding... Uh, its own playoff games. So there's just a lot more to throw around. And we and we asked, you and I were here in Dallas at the CFP meeting last week, and we talked to the commissioners about this. And some of them are more diplomatic publicly when they talk about this than they are a bit privately when they realize kind of, we got to do what we want to do. And, and, and that's, 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 that's the point. It's funny. I, I've got a story out Wednesday on The Athletic about really the history between this. And it all comes back to something that I was actually unaware of, which is the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961. And according to that law, the NFL cannot play after 6 o'clock on Friday uh, until after midnight on Saturday. Friday nights are protected for high school football. Saturdays are protected for college football. There was a lot of lobbying that went on to get that done. But now you've got a Black Friday game kicking off at 3 p.m. next year in the NFL because it's, it's got to stay within that window and yeah, they're going to go head to head now. And the other, the other part of this is you've got to get ESPN to want to do it, which is its whole other issue. ESPN would rather not go up against a playoff NFL game, for example, with the semifinals, but that's what the college football playoff committee has to do. You know, it would have been nice to have maybe an additional nine months to kind of work this out. Uh, something that, uh, it appears Greg Sankey has pointed out many a time about these playoff negotiations that when they tabled it back in January only to bring it back in September to the result everybody knew we were going to get to, it was a lot of um, a lot of uh, nothing, really. Big waste of time, and now we're here, and they're all scrambling and trying to get it done. Yeah, and, and also it's worth noting, again, as we sort of track hopefully the final stages, and hopefully they do get this in place for the 24 season, is that they're going to look at some of the calendar issues separately for the totally new contract for 2026 yes. onwards. So at that point, they could collectively decide to move the season up a week, which would basically avoid this particular issue for the first weekend. You know, you can work through some of the other games. They, they, they also need to figure out with some of these NFL stadiums that they're going to use – you know, can you have a college game one day and then the NFL game the next? Is that different if it's an NFL regular season game or if it's a playoff game? Are there rules around that? Like, there's a lot of little details that need to still be determined. But I do think, you know, if you move everything up a week and you can have that first weekend of this of of the playoff, the weekend before the NFL is allowed to play on Saturdays, that's probably ideal. So that's something also to monitor because once this gets done early we will then be wondering, okay, what's it going to look like indefinitely, you know, for the 2026 onward contract. Okay. Before we wrap it up, we will go do our last call. Cheers or jeers. This is the part of the show where we get to rant or rave about something we have not already hit on. It can be college football related. It cannot be. It's what you might just, you know, get in the last round of drinks, the bar's about to close, whatever might be on your heart and mind. Chris, I will let you go first. 
I'm going to have to start with something that uh, you were unaware of, and that is the Hypnotoad, specifically about TCU. They're 7-0. I went to the game against Kansas State, and they have really embraced this Futurama cartoon character from the, I think it's from the 2000s. For those who don't know, Hypnotoad is this toad who's got psychic abilities to get everybody to to, to do whatever the toad wants. There's like a TV channel dedicated to the Hypnotoad. It's, it's really nonsense. TCU has used this before on the scoreboard and some other things in the past, but they've really embraced it over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Sonny Dykes was wearing a Hypnotoad uh, sweatshirt at practice. Max Duggan had a Hypnotoad shirt on after the game. It's all very funny. They use it during the games and stuff like that. Nicole, you were unaware of it. What did you think when I when I sent you a video of the Hypnotoad? I guess it was more what I was expecting. I you you were kind of referencing it and I didn't really know. I mean, I thought I was like, did it have to do with something that happened in one of the games? Like did they already make merch about this and start making content about it? But nope, it's just it's just a throwback reference and that they're leaning into. It's good cuz I do I do think we need a specific name for these horned frogs who have had some incredible close games that they've pulled out. They have also had some incredible luck in some of the quarterback situations that they have faced in some of their games where they were not going up against a team starting quarterback. So I think this, this particular year one of the Sunny Dykes era team did need a name. So I, I, I like that they are embracing that. They, they have it as TCU, especially like the social media team, they have embraced weirdness like online weirdness if you go to their like Twitter that. account you know how i feel about that very pro <laughs> yes yeah, there's there's just videos that are just kind of nonsensical but that's also the point so tc has very much embraced being weird and it, the hypnotode is part of that and uh so they're, it's, they're it's a not, little nice they're a little too on maybe a little too online you're saying yeah i think tc social media is a bit too online but but it's always good to see if some futurama references in 2022 Okay, so my last call is a cheers to someone else who is too online, and that is our pal, the other Matt Brown. There are two Matt Browns, very prominent figures in college football media. One is obviously our colleague at The Athletic, Matt Brown, and then Matt Brown, who runs Extra Points newsletter. That Matt Brown from Extra Points spent five hours researching teams' records immediately following a Taylor Swift album release. I actually had to ask him. I said, first of all, loved it. Second of all, how much time did that take you? And he said, it actually took five hours to do, to compile every FBS team's record immediately following a Taylor Swift album. My two favorites, because there were a lot of teams that were kind of mixed or maybe were like five and two, you know, whatever. She's had a lot of albums come out in the fall. Ohio State undefeated after a Taylor Swift album release. And then poor Purdue. They always lose after a Taylor Swift album release. Everyone else a little bit somewhere in the middle. Sometimes better than others. But incredible investigative reporting from our pal, Matt Brown. Ohio State's not surprising because they win most weeks. Like, they, they, if you pick a weekend, Ohio State probably will have won on that weekend. But Purdue being 0 and 8 that is tough. it seems hard to do and look okay the dates of these games you have some in october some in november there also was an august one which i'm not sure if there were really any games i guess if you would have played maybe week zero he might have counted them 
but it just it's 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 like you know they're moving the release dates around and Purdue is still finding ways to lose I should have known that I would have liked to have that information heading into the Wisconsin game last week because I thought Mm -hmm. Purdue is the better team on paper should have won that game if I had known that the Swifties and Taylor Swift magic was afoot I might have picked that game a little bit differently people are gonna make bets based on that the next time an album comes out uh, they sure will. And thank you to Matt Brown for spending five hours on this. This is exactly yes. the cross section of my interests. So I really appreciate it. I also watched college football with him and Dan Rubenstein, our pal from Solid Verbal last weekend. So I kind of feel like we may have helped him get to the point where he felt like he needed to write a newsletter about this. And not only that, you got Taylor Swift on this podcast for the second week in a row. So I have to give you a, a kudos for that. I actually want to end with one more thing. You mentioned... We should have a wager about the Michigan Daily State News game. We don't have to involve cottage cheese or even any kinds of food. What do you think about a simple compliment of the other person's student newspaper, depending on who wins? Wow. You got to remember, I've got, I've got the, you know, I'm getting the points, so to speak here, because uh, the Michigan Daily is certainly heavily favored. So I can't right. make this too one-sided. What, are we, are we essentially, are we saying it's, if it's a shutout? Is that a win for me? And if if the if the no. state news puts on any point, what's, what's no? The, what's I'm, the I'm, score? I'll be a man of some. I'll, I'll be a man of a little bit of honor and just say win or lose. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna okay. literally put points on the line for this. Okay, I was gonna say if you were gonna. I mean, we could probably describe this game to Ari Wasserman and he'd give us a line. Yeah, I gotta believe in the state news a little bit here. It's probably like so you get one point per touchdown. It's usually like to first 10. to first to ten, and then darkness usually falls. Like I think they won eight nothing last year. Um, it's probably gonna be like an eight point line. I was thinking like six or seven. Six, yeah. Uh, seven. Yeah, it's it's gonna be okay. I think a compliment is good because, um, you know the Michigan Daily is very it's entirely student run, so we really take a lot of pride in that. We don't need adults and faculty advisors telling us what to do. So, Why would you when you have three hundred fifty if you're running around? I don't know where you're making up these numbers, but I'll come up with lots of great ways you can compliment us and the many alumni in sports media in great jobs all around the country because we have so many successful alumni in sports media. So I will help you find one of the many things that you can compliment the Michigan Daily for. I think that's an, I, I thought you were going to make me wear like a Michigan State t-shirt or something, which, you know, I know this, this isn't really about the schools. It's about like the specific student news. It's newspapers. about the journalism. It's about the journalism. And the, 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 the good journalism that the state news does and the bad ones that the Michigan Daily does. Uh, you better change your tune because when you lose this I battle, gotta you're going to have to a compliment. Now. You're going to have to give your last call cheers to the Daily next week. That's what it is. That's what's That's at what stake. That's what it is. That's the cheers what it is. at the end the of the show. The cheers okay. We're coming up with this on the fly here. There that we works. go. Deal. Deal. That is the That will be next week's last call. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Power Hour. We always have a blast. Thank you for listening. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. We will see you next Wednesday. 